Welcome to Strange Familiars. Allison, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Oh, it's been an exciting time for me. Digging back into the witch diggers. I really love this story. We're going to continue tonight. I'm going to talk to John and Julie about their experiences. They own property next to the old Bishler property. And they're still experiencing activity today. How far are they in their own hole? <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe they've dug a hole yet. They haven't dug a hole yet. I, I mean, have they so. thought about that as a as a way of uh, witch elimination? They didn't mention anything about it. However, Tyler and I, in one of our off-the-air talks, which I think the last time we talked it was about two and a half hours, we were talking about if we found the hole, should we continue digging in it to see if that causes anything to happen? Well, you don't live there. <laughs> How about this? How about if someone came and dug in our backyard just to see if it would stir anything up? True. I can tell you right now, like, I don't, we've probably never talked about this. I don't know why we would, but there's a slight sinkhole in our backyard that has a hole in it, and I just put stuff in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just decided it's like storage. <laughs> storage. Well, it's not anything you're going to get back out again. Oh, no, I can get it. I've already gotten some things back out. You're kidding me. No. What'd you put in there that you got back out? Oh, I got some, some dishes I thought I didn't want to sell anymore, and I was going to put them in the hole, and then I got, <laughs> then I got them back out. We <laughs> cleaned them up. Hillbilly. <laughs> we people think <laughs> like mom pa kettle over here. Very timely reference. Everyone will get that. They can look it up. Okay. Actually, Mom and Pa Kettle had a really cool house. I, okay, there's an episode where Mom and Pa Kettle win the lottery and they get like a fancy futuristic house where, where everything's done for them and they press all these buttons and it's like a mid-century modern house, but it's like completely like just done to the nines, like mm-hmm. beyond any normal house. And I, as a kid, I love that house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been putting things in the hole and taking them back out. <laughs> Apparently, we have a hole in the backyard, which Alice is using as storage. <laughs> this isn't a root cellar. This is a hole in the ground. It's it's a place where a former, I think, cistern or some kind of septic tank or something before we were hooked up to the sewer system mm-hmm. was put in there, and now it's... You're not winning points. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> but so it's like, okay, so I'm going to do it say in a very strange familiar's way. It's made sort of like a fairy ring. It has. In the back yard because it's like there's a depression around it in a circle and at one point I started stepping on it and realizing that there was nothing underneath it so I just dug a little bit and realized it's just sort of roots holding in the local vernacular roots there wasn't really anything there so I just kind of dug a little bit and I realized there was this gigantic hole down there do you remember the Saturday morning special (laughs) (laughs) called the like the land of og or something like that 
where this where all of the lost things went, and the guy would have to go down in it to go and look. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And I think did he just keep saying "all go 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 go" over and over and over again? I don't know. Am I getting things confused? I don't know. It's just all weekend TV. Like I never got to go anywhere, so (laughs) everything for me is just weekend TV. In any case, (laughs) on tonight's show, I'll be interviewing John and Julie, who live next to the Witchdiggers property. They wanted to stay anonymous, so that's not their real names. Mm -hmm. However, as would happen with anybody, they forget a few times in the interview and they they mention each other's real names. So the bleeps you hear... Are not them just swearing. They're not swearing. (laughs) It's me just taking out when they said their real names. Is it possible that their names just happened to line up with the family that was there before? Are they Susan and Samuel? No. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-mm. And Joshua Cutchin helped me interview them. I want to thank Josh for that. And I didn't give him a chance to do his plugs at the end of the interview. So make sure to check out Josh's books. And you can find Josh at joshuacutchin.com. Before we get to the interview with John and Julie, though, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your help in making Strange Familiars. We could not make Strange Familiars without you, nor would we want to. All of our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly show, plus full bonus episodes. Last week, patrons got an extended interview. We continued talking with John and Tyler about the Witch Diggers case. The second part was just as good as the first, I felt. We usually do one. Sometimes we do more than one show every month for our patrons. Depends on the month. You can check out all the patron options at patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's also a subscription via Apple Podcasts called Patron of the Strange. Subscribers there also get the commercial-free weekly shows and the monthly bonus episodes as well. One last thing before we get to the interview. I often mention Maynard and his GoFundMe. He's had a heck of a time with some medical issues. He's a longtime listener. I think he's been here since almost the very beginning. He hasn't been able to work and it's just a whole saga, as, as many people have, once you have these repeating medical problems and you can't go to work and so forth. In any case, he set up a GoFundMe. You can check it out. It's in the show notes. I leave the link there. And if you can help, please do. All right, let's get to my talk with John and Julie. I'd like to welcome John and Julie to the show. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. Really good. Thank you. And Joshua Cutchin is here as well. How are you doing tonight, Josh? It's great to be here hearing from you again, Tim. I, I have a feeling like I'm entering a renaissance uh, <laughs> at a stage of my life. <laughs> well, you know, Josh, the Witch Diggers was the first Cutchin Renner jam. That was the first project we ever did together. Oh, it was. I guess yeah. We I I came on and we talked about it, right? Yeah, that was the first thing we ever like did, other than you know appearing on Soraya's show together. But the first thing like you and I did together was the Witch Digger show. That is amazing. That it's it's come full circle. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it's quite poetic that we have John and Julie on tonight. I really want to just let you all tell your story. You live near the property that the Witch Digger story took place on. Is that correct? Yes, sir. We're probably uh, 
mm, a half a mile northwest from that. Actually, our east line, if you cross one quarter section, you would be on that quarter section. In a straight line, 440 yards from our east line. Yes, sir. You contacted me and kind of blew my mind with the story that you've told me so far. Well, let's start, I guess, with how did you come across the witch digger story? I'm going to let my wife tell you that part. She was studying the genealogy part. We have a cemetery on our property. It has nothing to do with the Bishlers. It actually has to do with the town of Butlerville. And so I was doing genealogy about the cemetery and been in contact with the historical society. And so when I got the information from the lady from the historical society, I started diving down the rabbit hole that you go with genealogy. And we've had some strange episodes out here. And so I came across the story from the genealogy society, the historical society in our town that said the witch diggers. And so it actually says the original witch diggers. And so I read the story and then I got really interested and went down another rabbit hole and I started Googling things and I came across your podcast and it had the actual excerpt from a newspaper the lady was reading and everything that went along with that article that she read has happened out here. So that's why I contacted you. It's stunning. So over a century after the article was written, you're still having activity out there. So you were having activity before you ran into the the Wishtaker story. It was only afterwards yeah. that you yeah. kind of yeah. put it together. Okay, yeah. Yeah, put it together. Your podcast, when my husband came in that night, I had this funny look on my face, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I think I finally found full circle of what has happened, what is happening out here, what has happened out here. And then I made him listen to your podcast. And also, there's another one on YouTube. Of, there's two people. It's called the Appalachian Trail Fire Stories or something, and it's a, a picture of a flame. And it tells the same story. So I made him listen to both, and he just sat there, like, with his mouth open. It was amazing. And then we, we called the neighbors, and we were like, we found why. What we're experiencing is because of this. So your neighbors have experienced stuff, too? Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that actually live on the Bishler property? And no, they're further east of us. And uh, they, uh, own the they, they actually, that's right, they own two farms. They own the Bishler property. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So when mm-hmm. did this, the strange activity start? Well, you know, we've been here, I have 50 years next April. You, you start thinking back with kind of weird stuff, so we'll leave that out. But I'm going to start in the spring of 2022. COVID had hit. I had turned 50, and so uh, we're all sitting around here, and I bought a, buy a motorcycle. Our farm's almost three-quarters of a mile long, so you've got a 40-acre section, pretty much all tillable, a 60 that lays behind it in a rectangle, and off the northwest corner, another 40. 
So it's kind of a zigzag of all tillable ground surrounded by woods. And so I want to lap the whole farm with a trail to ride and walk. So I get into building these single tracks all by hand. So I, I walk them several times, paint them, come back with loppers, trim them out, and a chainsaw if needed. So I'm on the very back of the farm, and this green up's not here yet. And so we're just south of the flat country where the glaciers come through. You go five miles north, it's super flat. It's starting to roll here. Some of the limestone's exposed in the hillsides. I just shot one tonight out of the tree stand. You know, they're 40 degrees, pretty steep angles, about 100 to 120 foot tall. Starting to roll pretty good here. Anyway, I'm in the bottom here, cutting a single track up, my own little world. It's my therapy, I I call it. I Mm -hmm. do it after work. And um, I just, like, right behind you, you know, you you get the feel, but I heard the least ruffle, a stick break. And, I mean, right behind me. I carry a Glock kind of tucked in my back, and it's real visible, no greenery. Like I said, I'm probably... 10% 10% up this slope and I turn around just immediately like what in the world is that and it takes off so let's say from a six o'clock in an arc to three counterclockwise back to 12 to the apex of the hill and it's running mm, probably 15 mile an hour faster than an Olympic sprinter but I can't see a thing this is the weird part I don't know how to explain it it's not a squirrel. It's not a, there's nothing there. And I can almost track it visually. So, dumb me, whatever. There was one brushy spot. And then, like I said, about 3 o'clock, it works back towards the 12 o'clock position counterclockwise. I go to the top of the hill. I'm like, I'm cutting it off. I grab the pistol. Cold chills are out. The next valley is wide open, 100-yard valley. I knew I could see it if it crossed. When I got to the top, there's there's nothing there. The sound stopped, and I didn't have enough eyes. <laughs> my hair standing up now. And it just blowed my mind. I was like, what in the world went on? You know, just lost for words. Fast forward three months. The trails are done. I'm on a two-stroke kind of a race bike helmet in my own little world, ripping this trail on the top of that same hill i got to turn around a loop at the top and have to come back down i'm ripping through there helmet on two-stroke bike super loud and uh the best i could describe it is like a yell hey uh one syllable word it was so loud that you know i I, I shut the bike down thinking hey the neighbor was there i'm right on the property line Mm -hmm. and i yell his name take the helmet off and there's there's nobody there and you know i think back to the 100 yards you know from the the first little incident i was just telling you about and i'm like wow i fired the bike up and right back down out into the field edge and home and you know i'm telling the wife i was like this is two things within 100 yards here that's happened this 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 uncanny Right. And to be clear for the listeners, you're a hunter. You've been out in the woods plenty. Yeah, that's my hobby. Yeah. Um, we were kind of in the late 90s, kind of learned techniques from the guys out west. Well, nobody was in this country. 
uh, avid outdoorsman. I've hunted ooh, 20, 25 states um, in the country of Mexico twice. Done it my whole life. Fox trapper. And that teaches you a lot about nature. Just, I always said, you want to learn about people, try to go catch a red fox. They'll show you how stupid you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I feel I'm a, I'm not top notch, but you know, I'm, I don't know. I have a little more insight on the, on the hunting than a lot of people. Right. Um, but you're, you're familiar with the sounds of the woods generally. The sound, yeah. the sound, yes. So I guess we'd go, you know, a little further ahead and, uh, this is on my mind. It's worrying me, you know, it's weighing on my mind. What in the world has went wrong? And so starts investigating and she goes, you know what? Maybe we have a Bigfoot and we're, we're just laughing it off. We have. It was either Bigfoot or a ghost or something. And I'm a devout Catholic and I go to church every week. And so I'm pretty intuitive with certain things. And I told her, I said, maybe we just need to pray. Maybe we need to, you know, give it something or, you know, tell him that we're here in peace or, you know, to make him feel more comfortable to go back in the woods, you know. And me, too, because I hunt with him. I'm not as big in it now because of my job as I used to be with him. But then we do what he's going to tell you. <laughs> so she starts looking stuff up. She goes, you know, maybe it's a Bigfoot. And I was like, well, I didn't see a Bigfoot. I didn't see nothing. She goes, well, let's gift it something. So through the years, it's kind of sick or weird or whatever. The canines and them coyotes, we have pulled and I'll drill and put a necklace and give it to a kid, something you can't buy at Walmart. I took a coyote tooth and a turkey feather, and we walked back there and said something goofy. Well, we know. We didn't say anything goofy. We just said we prayed. We said we're here in peace. We're, you know, oh, okay. We're Sorry, not, sir. We're not causing you any harm. You know, this is what we're going to do. And so that would have been um, October-ish, September. September. I left for a hunting trip. We didn't hear anything. Nothing went on any, you know, any difference. Uh, I was out west. And so the wife steps out of the house, and we have a ring system on our house. So when you step out, it comes on, and it which would record audio also. And we didn't put it together at the time. It'll wrap up at the end of the story. She hears this howl and sends it to me. Since I'm a coyote hunter, she goes, what is this noise? And it's daylight out, last hour probably, pretty evening. And I said, I have no idea, but, you know, it doesn't start high and it doesn't have the vocals of any coyote I've heard, nor a wolf. And so... Couldn't wait to get home. She's terrified. <laughs> mm. And that's where the weirdness kind of starts. About a week later, you know, we're getting close to Christmas time. Gifts are coming through UPS. Right on the same porch, we find a quarter. We have no children, no visitors, except I play it off as, hey, you know, the UPS guy come across this quarter and just put it here on the deck post. But nothing was caught on the ring. Nothing was caught on the ring. We went back through there. Oh, wow. It's um, It was a 1980. I still have it. And uh, I don't know if it was that on. Was the significance of 1980. Well, we don't know that it was, you know, we, we tried to think back, you know, my dad had built this house in 1980. You start thinking, <laughs> you think of everything. Sure. But yeah, uh, yeah. 
until I collect say I'll go through my timeline. That quarter was kind of weird. About two weeks later, it was 9.55, I know. I was talking to a buddy. I went out on the porch. I have a thermal. I kind of scan around and look. The same direction of her first how, which would have been southwest, I guessed it, at 400 yards from the noise. The same thing hit me, but it was in little blurps, kind of a whoop, 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 a little rainy that night. And I was like, that's the exact same direction that the noise came that done it to my wife freaked me out and I'm trying to muffle the phone you know I'm talking to this guy and so we still don't put it together you know I step out on the porch and the ring picks this noise up about two weeks later we have these big transmission lines that run through our farm from the Ohio River to Michigan Michigan Power so these guys trim the right-of-ways. I believe it's 100 foot from the outside line both ways, and they're constantly spraying. And They had passed their house back in. They back in this field across from us. The noises came from. It's about an eight-acre field, approximately 250 long by about 200 deep. They back in under the transmission lines to walk through the next section. Four trucks abreast, pointing north. Two or three of the workers were back in there. Two of the workers were in the work truck. So you have the boss sitting there on the driver's side, and then the passenger, the worker. So the boss was doing some computer work, and the passenger would have just been gazing out. And a creature object flanked their truck from left to right about 9 o'clock, in between their trucks and the transmission line post. And I'd shot at the rangefinder, uh, thinking it was 90 yards. So it come within 35 yards of their truck to maybe 60, and then went back east uh, like a half moon, about 125 yards. Their boss, how I found this out, the next morning he had knocked on our door. And so... You know, I call a few of the neighbors to get this story. I'm like, I want everybody to listen to this. You know, it finally hit me. Hey, we have something here. This is- I literally thought one of the guys was going to have a heart attack in, yep. in my driveway. I'm a nurse, and he was white as a sheep. So I get my wife home. I call the neighbor. I call two or three people there at work just to interview them. And at the time, we had contacted the BRFO guy. And then uh, he had never made it here yet. You know, he was talking about coming and camping. And I said, you need to get here now and why we can interview these guys because they'll go section to section north on and they'll be out of here. Mm-hmm. So we come on over and, you know, we interview them. Um, the more ears, the better. And they're telling me what I had just told you. You know, hey, they're back in. This object had flanked around. And I said, well, how fast did it move? He said, as fast as you can move your hand from left to right, he swung it. Wow. I said, how tall? You know, he goes six and a half, seven foot. He goes, looked like it had a a jogger, a hoodie. You know, one one could speak pretty good. He was about 30, and the other guy, the the boss was about 30. The worker was uh, about 50. 
And so you got to think, he's kind of looking there in his peripheral vision. The boss would have caught it, but the worker on the right would have been gazing out, and he seen the whole thing. Mm. And he was a mess, uh, literally shaking mess. Uh, demon. demon, demon. So I said, what color? And uh, black, no, brown. And so I had a couple Carhartts of different ages. I got one out that was, you know, kind of bleached. No, no, and more redder. And he said, yes, yes, yes. So, you know, it just kind of brought it on. I was like, yes, and I knew there was something here. So the BRF old guy, he says, um, well, that was a Bigfoot. He goes, you know, they... They look like they're in a hoodie, and, and they just, they float. So when I seen it, where they had told that it had entered, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking back at our house, and I'm thinking, it wasn't 400 yards off yelling at us. It was about 250 to 300. It was watching our home. It really gave me the cold shells then. Because they had a direct line of sight, and it wasn't a coincidence that we walked out and the ring come on, and it caught us. It was literally watching. Had to have been. You know, just, we stepped out, the ring come on, it made its first howl at my wife. I stepped out in the dark, it made the whoop-whoop deal. So the next morning, this is really weird, and I think I sent you guys a picture. These guys are terrified. They had to send another crew in because they don't want to get out of their truck. Oh, wow. They're on our farm now, and they have to walk oh, 400 yards to get to the woods, the power line. And those two guys that had seen it are knelt down, and they're just staring into the bliss like like the beaches of Normandy is what I tell everybody. It'd be like, hey, you got to get off here. And they're just like, oh, hell, I don't want to walk out there. That's how they were. And so I'd sent you a picture. It took like six of them walking hand in hand because they wouldn't go. Terrified. Mm. About a week later, we find another quarter <laughs> and the wife comes in. She leaves for work that morning and she comes in. She's mad. She goes, tell me you're not give, leaving, leaving these. And I, no, no. And I'm, I'm yelling at her. Tell me you're not doing it. It's just weird. I don't know what the quarter thing would be or where else they'd come from. We had no guests, you know, uh, two in a row. But the, ring but the ring does not pick anything up. It's, Five foot, literally, in front of our ring. I have a bit of insight regarding the quarters thing that's kind of uncanny for me. Um, I've mentioned this here and there before, but when my parents were adding on to the house that they're still in, uh, I was probably about five or six, I think, there was a period of time during the renovation where my mom and I would always find four quarters stacked in the strangest of places, like on top of the fridge, or, you know, the one that I remember most clearly was a set of four quarters that were stacked up behind one of those big, thick, you know, six-inch thick, (laughs) seven-inch wide dictionaries. And we pulled out the dictionary, and there were four quarters stacked there. And I've always associated that, you know, with something along the lines of poltergeist activity because there's this common phenomenon in poltergeist reports, both when they're, you know, infesting a house or when there's a seance that objects will be apported. They'll sort of materialize into the room. And... You know, the way that Timothy and I think about Bigfoot would be completely in line with this sort of being something along the lines of it being in a port. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that the house was being built in 1980, and that was the date on the quarter. And 
I saw these quarters as a child when my parents were doing construction on their house as well. So the fact that there are quarters just sort of appearing is something that I have heard of and actually experienced in my case. So that's really fascinating. And so the second quarter was 2000. And the only, only other thing is my dad had built this house. He had passed that year, you know? And so we're thinking what in the world, you know, our, my my mind don't that way, but that's the only two dates felt in 80 and, and, you know, he had passed in 2000. So, you know, but it goes on. I walk back hunting. Of course, I'm about terrified to leave the house. And, you know, I, uh, I've never been that way in my life and walked all over this all hours of the night. Uh, we have, like I say, we thermal hunt, we predator hunt. And so I have to walk. We have a hunting house here on the farm, and it's uh, about 600 yards back there. You can see the whole farm both directions that way. And so I'm going back one morning. I kind of go in the gray period. It's not quite light shooting light yet but not dark i don't have to use a flashlight slide across the fields and so the first woodlot's 400 yards from the house and i remember stopping thinking why is all those walnuts falling you know uh, it sounded like walnuts hitting trees and i thought shoot we, there's there's no walnuts there's hickory nuts there's a hickory nut tree on the south side and one on the east there is not a wall it's all white oak growth and matter of fact, we don't have the foresters cut it. We used to finish mow it. We have big cookouts there. And it was just not like it was raining, but it was enough to hear as I'm walking over, you know, the vegetation. And I stopped thinking, what is these knocks? It's just like a, a nut hitting a limb. Bam, bam. So I go on to the treehouse. That's kind of spooky. About two weeks later, well, maybe a week later, I'm in that same tree house. It sits dead center of the field, got a little thicket around it. Off to the east, across the field, about 150 yards, our wood line starts. Broad daylight, 5 o'clock. I hear these knocks below our pond dam. And I'm thinking the same thing. I was like, shoot, there's not a walnut tree. There's a few oaks in there. It's pretty scrubby locust. That kind of creeped me out. You know, and maybe they've been around my whole life. I just never paid any attention to them. But we just start putting this perspective. The wife pulls out, and I'll let her tell you this story. This is pretty creepy. In this timeline, she's going to work one morning and pulls out of our driveway. And so you can kind of tell them what you've seen. It was probably 5 o'clock in the morning because I leave anywhere between 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I have a brand new car, so it has the automatic bright lights and so when I turn out of my driveway there's a big field and there's nothing there's a house on back but you can't you know there's nothing there just a big cut hay field yeah big cut hay field no vegetation and there's no trees there's no nothing and so when I pull out I get a right to about when you guys come out here you'll know right in front of our front door on the road my lights turned to bright, and there is something, and I don't know, I don't know what it was to this day. I don't know what it was. It was like it shot up right there beside me, and I could see, I could see it in my peripheral vision, and automatic, it, it just like this nausea hit me. I automatically just hit my gas, and I was 
probably going 50 down our road, which you shouldn't do because we're very windy. And I was tore up. I, I still, to this day, I don't know what it was. There was nothing there. I don't know what it was I, other than something was laying down. When I turned my light, there was no deer. There was no nothing there. It was just... So it kind of right stood there. up and just blacked her window out. We're sh- like right there. It seemed of considerable size, whatever it was. Yes. I told the BFRO guy this, and he just kind of knocked me off about, you know, saying that I was seeing a tree or something. Well, there's not any trees there. There's nothing there. So. Yeah, I wouldn't write that off. I mean, that's, you know, you saw something. Uh, yeah. What it is, you know. Yeah. I don't know if they want to be a part of it. We've kind of mentioned it to them. They know there's something going on, and they kind of laughed it off. We all did. They're the neighbors that own the Bishon property. Yep, and he was he was old and lived by himself. There's a lot of gray areas here, you know, from talking two or three different times and with the BRFO guy and but kind of a long story or what I've got out of it, he was shaking in the middle of the night and basically some guys came into his house is what he explained. So he had called a friend of his at like two in the morning and said, Hey, pick me up at the end of the driveway. You know, I've got people that's entered my house. So this guy, his friend calls this, old man's boy which he can't get an answer they're in bed and he never comes out you know he's like hey, Jim's lost his mind or whatever so you know it gets bothering him he's up he keeps calling the boy and finally he answers and uh, they send the cops out and all the lights are on in this home all the doors are open all the lights are on they're all rushing over there the cops and uh his cell phone's missing. Yep, they find his cell phone's missing. And so about 440, 500, five to 600 yards on south, they have another parcel, a rental home there. They start calling this phone. They're like, well, you know, he's missing. Dad's missing. Where is he? They could hear this phone ringing. So they found him. The best I can recollect here, he was kind of up under some farm implements there and and his shorts briars. and his briars and so they you know they're like dad what's going on and he's like hey you know these guys were trying to get into the house or creatures uh, and they're like well what do you mean and he's like well they were hairy hairy things there was four or five of them and uh, they're thinking you know he's he's kind of lost his mind or what's went wrong and he's real adamant telling the same story yeah, his story never changed yeah never. he was like well you know First, they were kind of coming into my house. I called a buddy to come get me, and I don't know if he was running from them or seen something, but he said that uh, they were, you know, whatever this was, were nice to him. They didn't, didn't seem to want to harm him in any way, shape, or form. So after that, they're kind of thinking, you know, hey, Dad's slipping a little here. This was prior to our stories, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, prior to ours, any problems we had had here. And they kind of put it on the back burner. And then our problems, you know, started here a month or two later, guess, and we mm-hmm. were starting to really notice things. Yeah. notice things, get weirded out. And so when I told the children, we're pretty close to the, the daughter, which lives next to him. She's our neighbor. She is our neighbor, lives right next to the old man. 
And so you could see, you know, they were pretty inquisitive. And uh, they started showing him pictures. Dad, what did you see? Because he was kept saying, well, they're ape-looking things, you know, hairy men, ape-looking things. So he started going through and showing them different pictures. And, and when they got to, like, the Saski, he goes, that's it. That's exactly what was here. And uh, all the way, I, I mean, he died six months later, probably. He held on to that story. He yep, was, yep, they kept going back. And he said, you know, he would get, he'd get, get mad. He'd, he'd get, get mad. Say, no, this is what, what was in here. Wow. So, you know, and then we started having our problems. And, and matter of fact, the boy had even called me because he was pretty sure Dad was losing it. And he was like, he had had an instance himself of being what you guys called walked out of this valley years ago. He had kind of come down through from their house to ours and hunted. He said, you know, about three or 400 yards through the woods he had to go. And he said, you know, I didn't have a light. And, and he goes, I was trying to get home. And he goes, I remember stopping and I could hear that extra step. Mm. And, uh, now, did you hear this story before you heard the original Witch Diggers article where they they were saying they were coming through the windows? Oh, yes. yeah, yes. yeah. We, we didn't yeah, find that's the witch diggers until I started doing Just a couple out. months ago. Yeah. We didn't find the witch digger story until a couple months ago when I was doing research on the cemetery on our farm. And if you go into the Jennings County Historical website, I'm friends with the lady that runs it, and she started sending me articles and maps from that era, and it just popped up. Mm. And so I started reading it, and it describes, you know, where we're at, you know, what road it was. So when you originally talked to me and you told me the story about your neighbor and these things come with my jaw dropped because I was like, that's exactly what they talk about in that article. Did you have the same feeling when you heard the article? Yes. And so that's when the light bulbs went off. And so that's when I started sending stuff to that man's daughter and his son-in-law. They're both our neighbors. We're good friends with them. And so then I made them listen and they were like, it's been here that long, yeah. you know, so I've opened some windows, I guess, <laughs> didn't close doors. I opened windows because now we're like, okay, we're not all crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, whatever this is, they've been talking about it since the 1800s at least. 1864. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like we've been here since the spring of 74. I never, my dad would have told me. You know, if if he'd seen anything, he was the same way. He trapped the rivers before he went to work when he was a young guy. My sisters, I've asked them, and they go, you know, there's certain parts of the farm that have always felt spooky to us our whole life. And then we look back. We used to have five, six years ago, all around the property, we were kind of in the fitness deal. So we would walk or run it. And what's weird, we never put it together, the very back 40, you know, we said this five or six year, years ago, walking and running. She goes, why does it always feel like we're watched here? Hmm. And I said, I don't know. I don't know why we have that feeling. Broad daylight. And we have an Australian shepherd that would run with her if I wasn't going. And she would call me and she goes, this dog's hot. He won't move. And I'm like, well, hell, that dog should run to Indy. You know, they're just natural runners. She didn't go a half a mile. Mm-hmm. And we, we just look back at things thinking, he will not go to the woods. No, he's just terrified. And, you know, we have a, a, a wiener dog here. She doesn't pick up anything, but the Australian Shepherd, right out of his bed here a lot of times, he'll just look at her bay windows. He'll just pop right up, and his ears will start turning. 
his head moves, and I'm like, what are you seeing? And so about the last six months, I look west at the TV and I'm, these bay windows in the sunroom. There's no lights. No lights. It's just, but I have noticed uh, five to six times, well, probably this time of night till bedtime, I'll catch a light. Um, I don't know, but lack of better words, it's kind of like a falling star or a moving real quick. About the time I get focused on it, it's gone out of these bay windows. Can't explain it. All kind of, like I said, it's just about like a falling star or I don't know if you've ever shot like a tracer ammo. Yeah. Sometimes that's kind of what it looks like. Hmm. About the time I fall apart, it's petered out. And between our house and the woods is 80 yards. So I don't know, just weird stuff that we can't explain. Sure like some explanations. Do the lights look like they're in the woods or, or near the woods? So uh, our house, that bay window is probably 15 foot above the ground. No, I would say they're just, they're on the edge. Mm-hmm. Yep, moving about the speed of... Oh, they're pretty quick. Uh, wouldn't be qu- quite as quick as a crossbow arrow, probably half that speed. Like I say, it's enough. Uh, a, a baseball pitch, probably about that speed. Okay. Guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's enough for my eyes to pick it up, and then it's gone. And I would say, in my mind, trying to think back, they were all white, but one red to me. Uh, I've definitely say one red, but it, it, like I say, I'm watching the TV and my eyes pick it up about it. But then there's a window drywall, window drywall, so it could have went on, you know, one of them deals. Right. Yeah. I yeah. can't pick it up. I'm not surprised that you're getting lights. When we talked before, like I said, it's I don't know why they go hand in hand with this stuff, but they do. It's hard to think of a case that I haven't had. Now, I'm not talking about like a hunter who saw one in, in the woods, like walk under a tree stand or something. Mm-hmm. But when people have them near or on their property, I can't think mm-hmm. of, a, of a case where I said, hey, have you seen weird lights or, you know, UFO activity or anything like that? And I, I cannot think of one case where they said, no, you know, it just happened. And I always say this. I never blame like someone who drives past one on the side of a road or like I said, a hunter has one walk by and they're in their tree stand or something. They are convinced these aren't perfectly natural animals and I don't blame them for that because what they saw appears like that. But when people mm-hmm. have property and they have these things around their property without fail, strange stuff happens along with it. None of this stuff you're telling me is is super surprising. I mean, it's all super interesting, but it, it's all kind of like when we talked the first, you know, I asked you, had you seen weird lights before you told me about it? I knew it was going to be there because it just happens with this stuff. And again, I don't, I don't know the whys, but I can tell you that it does happen. You know, now thinking back, it gives me chills. My dad, that's the only thing that I can think in all this time. He said years ago they were out here. Of course, they always had rifles in their trucks shooting groundhogs or whatever. He said three or four of them. He goes, it was after dark. And he goes, we followed it in the rifle scope. This has been in the 70s. He goes, and it could move so quick in any direction. A light in his scope he was watching. Yeah, you know, like an object, which would have been at least a mile away. Mm. That's the only thing I ever heard him mention of any out of the ordinary here. 
I don't want to interrupt the flow of your story, but do you want to talk about what you saw through the scope that day? Sure. Forgot about that. Yep. And I forgot that on my timeline. So somewhere there, um, about the power line workers, I shoot a lot. And so I come outside of my garage there and, um, the transmission lines are right at 250 yards. I got a rifle in my hand and there's a, uh, kind of a peninsula oaks that come up through there. When you guys are here, I can, I'll show you the exact one mm-hmm. and it's dead calm, dead, dead calm. The best analogy, I guess, if you've ever watched the squirrel hop tree to limb, the tree limb, that shake it gives. So it was at the top of the oak tree, but it was the only tree moving about the size of a pickup truck, roughly, at 250 yards. Enough that it caught my attention. The whole, you know, everything's just dead calm, but this tree is moving. So I have a little pole scope, $600 optic on a rifle, good clear glass, laid down on the bipod, and I was like, what? And it's just kind of a mirage moving. That's the best I could explain it. Uh, like if you're going down a road and you see heat waves, kind of that weird heat. Mm-hmm. There was nothing there. Yeah, never once. The first and only time ever. Uh, that tree was literally just kind of shaking. There was, of course, no squirrel. It had to have been about 400 pounder. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. Yeah, I, I have heard of that before, haven't you, Tim? <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> yeah. The sort of shimmery. Yeah, the, like, the uh, predator. Like predator. Thing. The predator effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and you know, and that's what I, I think I, I was telling you guys. I literally feel, after all of this, that I'm in the movie Predator. You know, I've been in the woods. I built a land bridge back here, another story, in, in between building all these trails. So a ravine come way down and back up, and it was muddy in the creek. And I knew we was going to struggle crossing it in our bike. I drug some timbers back there and rust salt stuff, and it's about a 14-foot gap. And I'm building this, and I'd be working on it. And, you know, if, if a red-tailed hawk or something comes through the woods, the squirrels will kind of start barking in a succession of waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can hear them coming. That would happen several times. There was never any hawk. It was like you know, whatever was there was traveling, I say, the speed of a hawk. But the woods would go dead calm. You know, the squirrels, several times. And I, you just get that weird feeling like, What in the world is going on here? And, you know, we have a property on the other side of the road. It's a different world there. Until yesterday. yesterday, Yep, yep, until two days ago I come out bow hunting. But I'm always working there. The birds are chirping. We've never had any weird feelings, nothing. Two nights ago I come down out of there. I can see my pickup truck. I'm 150 yards from it, and I hit this smell like our septic system had just blowed. Mm. And we have a house on that, but it's 400 yards to the east. We've owned that since 04 or 05 and walked it several times all the way to the truck, that smell, just like uh, you were above a septic tank. That's the only weird thing I've ever, you know, which we're more in tuned, I guess, to weird stuff now or our senses are you know uh, yeah out of the ordinary <laughs> where i wasn't before just kind of blunder out there if, uh, if it didn't walk under me i wouldn't have noticed it i guess but i have never seen 
a Bigfoot or a track. I mean, always about tracks. So if I find a cigarette butt on the place, I'm like, who's been here? You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what really, I guess, blows my mind is, you know, uh, what what is here? And then we have a neighbors to the other side that think we're crazy. Mm. Except for the wrappings. Except for the About a week ago, takes the dog out the back right, porch. Right when I talk to you, Timothy. Yeah, okay. a week or two. And she hears almost like, the lack of better words, like a two-pound hammer on a guardrail. Four of them. Four of them. So wow. I see this neighbor a few days later. And I don't know what he was doing. They ride their side by side around the field and had stopped. He just happened to be out at that time. And he made it to the point. He goes, what are you over there beating on the other night? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, I just know you're jacking with us, that Bigfoot crap. And I said, it wasn't me. And he believed me. I mean, he believed me. I said, no, I said, I heard that. He goes, it's right here in the woods. Well, that's where them lights always are flowing to that I see out our windows is right into his woods. It is so interesting that you described it as hitting a guardrail. It did. I had just let my dog out, my Australian Shepherd out to go to the bathroom and he stopped mid-poop because it was just like whack, 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 whack. I mean, it was like in a perfect succession and I'm like, what in the world? Because it was like 1030 yeah, at night. Yeah, yeah. 10, 15, 1030 at night. I mean, we were getting ready to go to bed. And I come up the steps and I asked and he, he went out the door and there was nothing. He has dead calm again. There was dead calm then. There was nothing. But our neighbor heard it too. Mm-hmm. He's aware. I think, matter of fact, he was saying we were back there shut her side by side off. And he goes, them wood knocks. He goes, I can't get over it. He goes, I'm just like you, 100 my whole life. And he goes, I can't explain that. Hmm. He goes, in the world, where are them coming from? He don't want to believe anything. And you probably tell these are different neighbors. Yeah, they are. It's a different neighbor than the ones to the east that seen the four guys. These mm-hmm. are to the west, uh, joining our line. Mm-hmm. One of the most intense nights I've ever had in the woods was kicked off, and I described the sound as someone swinging a two by four into a guardrail. That night, I was woken up at. 3.30 in the morning by wood knocks coming from two different directions and it ended up being a very, very intense night, but that's how it started. That And that's exactly how I described it. I said, it sounded like somebody swung a two-by-four into a guardrail. Yeah, and I didn't listen to it. I was asking Aaron, I was like, like somebody building a house? Because there's a uh, a rental house in be- between our two properties, and I'm, I'm, I said, well, that's vacant right now. And I said, Lance and them he wouldn't be building you, you know, it's another direction. So I, she goes like metal. And I was like, like a guardrail, a hammer, you know, going through different. She goes, yes, yes, yes. Cause I know it has a distinct sound. We have, we built a, a few things out of up guardrails mm-hmm. around here. So anyway, that's where we come to that. That's about it. Date, I guess on everything that's happened, it's kind of went dead. I mean, we hadn't had anything really crazy happen except the smell the other night in those wraps. Yeah. The BFRO guy left a recorder there that he collected after, was it, it was some time that he had left it there, right? We put it out, uh, I guess, in the first week of January. It got pretty cold. 
I don't know what he done. Forty five, six, forty five days, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And he really no, he said he had to go through it all on um I forget what he called it, on like a computer to break it down. Except he did call back and said does somebody have a cow out there? And I said, no, I said, it's right. You know, that farm that he was on was, uh, we put that up, which we didn't know at the time, about a hundred yards, 150 yards. We didn't know at the time from the how, but about another 200 yards from the old Bishler place. Hmm. We just set it and it's almost dead center of a square section. So you got a 640 square section. It's not quite dead center, but almost. So the nearest cows are on the west side of that section, a good six, eight hundred yards. But he said it sounds just like a cow in distress on this recorder. I don't know where that come from, and nobody's missed one. Or I've not had, we've not seen one. I mean, we've had people from Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio, and they, you know, Alex caught one in a snare one day. Six years ago, but nothing, nothing, nothing recent. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I will tell you though that that same time that he told us about the noise, he never sent us anything, which kind of makes me mad. He said, "If you have a bigfoot, it's a bigfoot." He goes, and that's all I do. He said, "If you have something else, then I'm shutting off." And he's never contacted us. Since. Yeah, so, yeah. He called it the other. The other. He won't deal with anything like the other. And I was like, what's the other? And he wouldn't even explain that. And right. So, that kind of... <laughs> so Josh and I have written two books, which are, what, 600-some pages together, Josh, the, those two books? Something like that, around, around 160,000 words, yeah. Which explores this the other in relation to Bigfoot. And this is where we separate from the BFRO. I believe they're just inextricably linked somehow. Again, I can't tell you how, and I can't tell you what they are or why, but just the number of people I've talked to. And again, it comes down usually to the people who are living with it that have strange Mm. stuff going on around and along with Bigfoot stuff. It's just too much. And, And I see... I used to see it more, and I actually saw it on Facebook today. I saw somebody say, like, uh, oh, the instances of weird stuff happening with Bigfoot are so very rare. And it's it's simply not true. That's something that people have put out there. Josh can back me up. It's just not true. There's just weird stuff goes with Bigfoot. It just happens. I was with a cryptozoologist whose work I admire, and I, I was very friendly with him at this particular conference. But he, he made the claim that only 30 out of 1,000 Bigfoot stories that were surveyed involved some sort of high strangeness or supernatural element. And he felt that that sort of made the case that Bigfoot is is most often a natural creature. And to, my, to which my response was, okay, well, how many high strangeness stories do you have involving grizzly bears? <laughs> you know? Right, right. You know, thir- 30 out of 1,000 is still 3%, which is not insignificant in the, you know, in the grand scope of these things, especially when – as Tim has mentioned, this is something that I've noticed time and time again, too. It's the people who have the fleeting sightings that, you know, roadside crossing, seeing something from their car or, you know, just happened to a hunter sees one walk walk past them. Those are typically the people who are adamant about it being a flesh and blood creature. But once you get to the people who are on the land with these things, that's when you start to hear more of these stories. And 
you know, I think the very fact that this is all happening near the Bishler property, you know, that, that original witch digger story doesn't say Bigfoot. The fact that that original story had so much, you know, how had so many peculiar elements to it and now is associated with a piece of property that we're getting Bigfoot reports from. I think that kind of is, is really a validation of some of the things that Timothy and I have been looking into for the past couple of years. Right. Right. Yeah, we had no idea of that property. We did, and we had no idea. <laughs> you know, I I go down the rabbit holes for my family and you know my husband's family and stuff like that. But then when I started doing the genealogy for the lady who wants to record our cemetery back here, that's when all of this started coming in to play. And you can look back in history weird stories of, about things that have happened out here. We also have another cemetery, which is the Grove Cemetery, which is right across from our property that's documented. And even the, that's a Quaker cemetery. Even the Quakers described weird things out here at that time in the 1800s. And so you don't know what's around here. Yeah, there's some follow-up questions I asked you, and I was, again excited but not so surprised to hear your answers and the one, the one thing i asked is do you have quarries or mines nearby yeah our other farm on the other side of the road has a quarry it has two quarry holes and they said they had uh, kind of dug that out for the bridges through here i don't know if that's true but uh, mm-hmm. yes, yes but when they they talk about the rocky ravine and the witch diggers we went back and we looked on the Bishler property, yes, there are big boulders, and there you could tell that there are holes dug back there. But if you listen and read that story, it said it's a fourth of a mile from their homestead that they started digging. And this whole area back here is the Rocky Ravine. And if you look at the roadways back then, they couldn't have gotten through other than traveling on top of the rock so when they were looking down it probably did look like they were digging in holes does that make sense yeah you're talking on the ridge line but you know and if they were to hit a water table because i've thought a lot and i've been all over i've leased that farm the neighboring farm so the bissler farm we were on that with the neighbors looking and it's really not that rocky. And like you say, we've listened to this story over and over, and I've kind of overlaid the old road system, how people would have gotten here. And I believe the Rocky Ravine lays west uh, the quarter mile. It really gets rocky, and it comes in to our other farm. It's actually beautiful, just laid up rock walls, solid rock creek. You, they couldn't have been digging on a hillside to have gotten to the water table, so it had to have been a flat. And I'm kind of anxious after deer season to scout more of that to look. Yeah, you know, because that was one of the questions I asked you if you found the actual holes that they were digging. And uh, we don't know. You know, there's kind of one up there, yeah, and there's some boulders set around. But you know, they could have dug those rocks out. That to, to me, I think they were on down. And, you know, uh, matter of fact, I asked a guy that we still have a couple gentlemen that's born and raised here that are in their mid-80s. And I think I'll ask them maybe if they'd ever heard anything prior. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because often, like there's some places around here that I thought were lost to time. 
based on old stories and stuff. And uh, one is, they call it the Grave of the Wolfman, or uh, their Wolfman's Grab in the Pennsylvania Dutch. I, it's an actual, you know, supposedly where where this, this uh, werewolf was buried. And I thought I'd never find it. And I just kept asking and asking. And finally, I found a guy who was in his 70s. But that guy had been shown where it was by a guy who was in his 80s in the 1970s. So I find, you know, I finally like tracked down the location. Of this it's always good to ask these folks because they might remember their, you know, maybe their parents told them something, you know. Sure, sure, yeah. yes. So there's a couple lifers that have been here, and um, a guy just gave me one's name, and I never thought about it, and uh, so that's on my to do list. Yeah, it intrigues me now. It scares me and intrigues me. You know, I, I. Uh, Hunting will never be the same. I listen to everything. I don't have enough eyes. It's uh, a. <laughs> uh, I sit here and do genealogy all night long. It's it's scary to be out there. Have you tried to do with the genealogy on the Bischlers? It's hard because their name is either Bischler, Bischlin, or Bischlin. My wife does genealogy, and she was run, she was doing that for me this week, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, they have so many different names." So, yeah, she's running into the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and it's because of the way they spoke. They were Swiss, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd have to get my notebook out and look. So they have a Dutch language. Yeah, Um, yeah. They might have even been from, their language would have been close to Pennsylvania Dutch, which is not not like high German. It's it's a little bit different. Kind of the Amish speak that. Yeah, Yeah, and we have... Out of Amish out here too. Well, they've just started coming. Yeah, out. they've just started coming out here, and we're good friends with some of them, and they speak the same way. And so, like when you say Schwartz, they say it different. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah, yeah, different, different ways of speaking. So yeah, it's hard. I mean, if I typed in because I, my dad is big in genealogy too, as was my uncle who's passed, but. I've got both of their ancestry logins because I add stuff to my dad's for him now because he's 77. And you type in search and stuff, they can't find until you type in a certain thing. And then it'll go all the way back from where they started. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how they spelled it here. Like on the map, if you look at the map that I sent you with the star on it. Yeah. B-I-S-C-H-L-E-A-N. And it's not Bishler, it's Bishlian. Mm-hmm. That's strange to me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my wife said she's found about five different spellings of their last name so far. So I have, yes, your wife is right. Yeah, maybe we could compare notes on the genealogy at some point. She says she thinks she might have found their parents back in Switzerland, but she needs to find, you know, check more and, and find more sources and stuff. You know, after all this, and you know, I've done my outline, and I three more little short weird things that have happened throughout life. In 1980, 81, I was telling my cousin this, and he goes, well, that's the same place that we had our incident, back to the Bigfoot. We don't know what it was. On the same ridge of my motorcycle, the same ridge of the whatever walked up behind me, we had our, our motorcycles, so I'd have been fourth, fifth grade, whatever. He's a year ahead. We're on that ridge, pretty open, like I said, and we're building a fort. And it's getting the last two hours of daylight. Our bikes are there. And to this day, I mean, neither one of us are spooky or 
we weren't then. We just went everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we're building this fort. And for lack of better words or analogy, if you've ever heard just of kind of a cow, I've heard them because we hunt next to cow pastures on the one farm, where they just kind of blunder around. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. You know, that's about what we heard. Just a real slow about the heaviness of a cow kind of stalk you, let's say. I remember building this, and it's getting closer. You hear sticks break, that kind of thing. I remember him looking at me, and we never said a thing. You know, we'd both turn our heads. He goes, whatever that is is about close enough. I've had enough. And we fired them bikes up. We never went back on that ridge. And I'd kind of forgot about it till I mentioned this last year, two years ago, when we started having problems. And I said, you know what? That's on that same ridge. I want 150 yards from that. I said, we never went there. We never went there again. It scared us so bad. Hmm. And then about uh, another good friend, I don't think he's ever even told the slightest white lie in his life. He's the straightest guy you'd ever meet. We're walking that oak grove where I told you I heard those knocks last year. And we used to keep it finished, though, have big family outings and stuff. And we had a tree stand on one end, and we had one on the other about 200 yards away. So the first oak had these great big limbs. We literally could go spiral up the tree on the limbs and hang the stand, probably 20 foot up, just huge limbs. So I'm dropping him off. And we had mag lights probably then. That would have been about 90, 91. Big six-cell D mag lights. And I've got to go through this oak grove really open. And in front of me, about 150 yards, uh, I guess in about my height off the ground, four to six foot, this set of red eyes. They're not glowing. They glowed when I hit them with my light, but they mm-hmm. set wide like a cow's eyes would. That's the best way I can reference it. And I sit there, and I'm looking at him, and because uh, we're making a little noise, I'm tying his bow on for him, and I just got this feeling. I was like, what in the world? Well, I start up the tree behind him, and he's settling in the tree. He goes, what are you doing? I said, we're talking just like I am to talking to you now. And I said, shine your light down there. And he goes, what in the world? And I said, I don't know. We've been talking. And I said, I've got to go through it to my tree stand, and I'm not. Hmm. And, you know, he was just telling me this after I told him what was going on. He goes, remember those eyes? And I said, yeah, I'll never forget it. Wow. Uh, he goes, you know, we were probably 20, 30 minutes before daylight. And I had forgotten this. He goes, you stood in that tree on them limbs next to me. He goes, every now and then I'd shine. He goes, it never moved. Hmm. And as it got lighter and lighter, there was no eye shine. He goes, we never heard it run. It was just gone. Wow. So uh, I dug into eye shine for those books that Josh and I wrote. And I know at least on the East Coast, there's not many things big things. Little rodents and stuff can have red eye shine, but there's not many big things that can have red eye shine. Bear can, depending on their diet, mm-hmm. but it's very dependent on their diet. Their eye shine can be green, it can be yellow, it can be red. We've spotlighted our whole lives, and I, I'm with you. I know. I just, those eyes, and they set way far apart, uh, mm-hmm. more than... That's creepy. Like, And I've seen red eye shine, too, and 
I just like it freezes me in my tracks. I'm like, it's nothing supposed to. I mean, we do get black bear through here, but the place where mm-hmm. I saw it, I, I, I truly do not think it was a black bear. It's just, yeah, there's just not that many big things that can have red eye shine. So that's, you know, very, very interesting. It's a very, very interesting encounter. Yeah, we're just trying to think back through time, those two things. The one other story, I have a uh, college roommate, uh, and uh, he'd been coming here for years hunting with me and brought his kid and uh, growed up here. Great hunter, just since he could walk. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, we're, we're having some problems here on the farm. And I kind of seen his eyes. I was almost afraid to say anything, but I was like, I got to, you know. And uh, this kid's in his early 20s. And uh, it's right off from that eye shine area about 150 yards two years ago. I said, yeah, I didn't happen to see anything here. And he goes, yeah, I did. He goes, remember that night I come out early bow hunting? And I was like, nah, I was trying to think back now. And, he goes, so I'm sitting there in this tree stand, and it's a big open valley. Three ridges come in. All the game moves through it. You can see a pretty good way, hardly any vegetation. He goes, I'm sitting there. And he goes, here's how I'm going to explain it. And he talks like a 50-year-old. He's wise for a 25-year-old guy. And he goes, uh, imagine like a, a gray squirrel coming down a tree. But it sounds about like a German shepherd uh, that size. And then when it hits the ground, it sounds like a man hits the ground about 50 yards in front of me. And I can hear its footsteps, a direct line towards me, but I can't see a thing. He goes, I, he carries a pistol. He goes, I pulled my 45, hair standing up on me, and I cocked it. He goes, and literally 25, 20, and there was nothing there. Mm. You know, it freaked this kid. He goes, Never had a thing like that in my life. Never. So we start thinking back. That's the only other three things that throughout time that has happened here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd add it to the list, certainly. Add it to the list, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, where do we go from here, I guess, is my question. Well, I'm excited to get out there. You've said that Chad and I are welcome to visit. We're planning to come out after hunting season, so we're looking at March, if that's okay. Yeah, that's a great time. That's a great time weather-wise, and then before the vegetation gets up. All right. So, you know, we're going to get out there. We'll see what we can stir up. Oh, I did have a question about the gifting. What made you do that? Did you hear about gifting, or is it just kind of intuitive that well, you decided to do that? After, you know, the uh, instance of, of walking up behind me and, and uh, the other Oh, on the motorcycle, and she's like, well, maybe we got a Bigfoot. So she pulled it up online, hey, you need to gift him or something. No, it was because he was saying that he was having these weird things, and I started, like, looking things up, and I'm a big researcher. It's just in my nature because I'm a nurse. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, maybe you need to just tell them that you're there, and that's what you're going to do. If that's their property, then maybe you need to apologize or pray or something. And so I said, gifting is what they say to do, which I was dumb because I didn't know until started going back into research that it was bad to gift. Not bad. It, it can just get weird and it can amp up the weirdness. It, well, it, it, can, it can backfire. Yeah. 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 
you know, we had the two instances. One, the thing, whatever it was, walked up, excuse me, behind me, my motorcycle on the same ridge. So, you know, I we, we put this coyote tooth and a feather there, and and I, it's like I opened the door. That's how I felt. Then the weird really got weird here. That's in my mind, and so I immediately jerked them out of there. I was like, hey. Um, I don't know what I've done, but, uh, and then, you know, I really start researching every book, the 411 series and, you know, them limestone rocks were right above a river and I'm like, uh, the cave systems here are everywhere. I don't know if that leads to it. We got sinkholes in the fields that go to caves. A lot of the spunkers use this country for years. And then when they bombed in the uh, Jefferson Proving Ground here, uh, a lot of those landmines had kind of collapsed a lot of those caves, they oh, say. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, I mean, even the Proving Grounds themselves feel kind of significant. I mean, that was, you know, sort of ground zero for a lot of the Mothman sightings was, you know, a munitions depot outside of Point Pleasant. And I've read and heard tons of stories from uh, from military bases where soldiers who are on, you know, active duty training and whatnot have experiences with things that sound a lot like Bigfoot. So I don't know what that connection implies, but it seems that there's at least a correlation there, too. Well, in the BRFO guy, what is the initial BRFO? BFRO, uh, yeah, yeah. He did tell us they have uh, application hunts, um, archery, um and uh, muzzleloader shotgun. Last year, there was a hunter that had seen uh, Bigfoot and literally had a come apart. He, uh, so if it's 55,000 acres divided by 640, I don't know with my math uh, what that would be, 85, guessing, square miles. And it runs really long, I'm guessing, see, three counties long and not near, probably five miles across. But anyway, this guy, I don't even know if he had his gun. He just ran one direction, uh, terrified. And he he did have that documented Mm. in there. So hard telling in there. So whatever it was never took your gift. You just kind of reclaimed it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, nothing was uh, disturbed. Yeah. The first thing I asked you when you said gifting, I was like, oh, you didn't do it with food, did you? And you said no. And I was like, okay, that's because that's the big, yeah. I don't know why, that tends to really set it off when you start with food. Yeah, the, the fact that you started with natural objects that, you know, were already there in the environment, you know, uh, I think was probably a, a wise decision, even yeah. if you didn't realize at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I have never seen a big flower. I, or a track, you know, that's why, why, why wouldn't I see a track? I'm on the river, I'm sandbars. They've got it all there if they need a water source. Um, slide right down without ever being seen. Nobody's back in this country, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it. Uh, well, it's, I mean, in my experience, it's extremely rare to come across tracks. And these Bigfoot guys that are finding tracks left and right, I'm not saying they're lying, but it always just makes me question, you know, especially they, they have perfect tracks. They're cast in one after another. And in my, you know, say I've been doing this seriously, say six, six to eight years, something like that. I've come across maybe footprints, as I call them, nothing that you could convince anybody who was a skeptic with mm-hmm. a, a few times. And then like a really nice 
what I considered like kind of clear footprint, but it wasn't deep enough to even cast once in all that time. I think it's it's really rare. I really do think it's a lot rarer than people think. I think people think because of these Bigfoot shows and stuff, people think you're just going to go out and get these perfect tracks. And it's I think it's actually quite rare to, to find. Gotcha. That said, don't stop yeah. looking. I mean, because, you know, you, yeah. you might come across something great. And and be on the lookout for stuff that you wouldn't expect as well. I, mean, I think that's important, too. Yeah, yeah, that's why oh. I, I said document everything weird, even if you don't think it's related. Like, document it at all. Because uh, you might find down the line that, oh, this is a thing. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're all ears here for help. All right. <laughs> John and Julie, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your stories. I cannot wait to get out there, but I will wait till after hunting season because I think that's best for everyone. And thank you for letting me sit in. I appreciate it. Yeah, nice talking to you guys. Thank you for your help. Thank you so much. So during the interview, they mentioned these sounds they caught on their ring camera when they went out on their deck. And they sent me these sounds, and I cleaned them up as best I could, and I'm going to play them now. First, here's the sort of longer cries that Julie heard when she went out. Next, this is what John was talking about when he said he went out. He was talking on the phone. It's kind of clipped from in between. He was talking, you know. Mm-hmm. And these are the sounds I kind of clipped from in between. Right, so next I go to Indiana in March. I will get to lay eyes on the land and put boots on the ground, and I'm super excited about it. Have that. you been to Indiana before? I don't think so. I've actually been to Indiana. I was there for a wedding with a boyfriend of mine like 30 years ago. Mm. I remember it was beautiful, and there were lots of corn, and it was very flat. I think this is the area where it goes from flat to... Uh, a bit more rolling hills. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. And I want to, of course, thank John and Julie for inviting me and for letting us come out. And we'll see what we can see when we're there. There's a lot to see when we're out there. A lot of places to go. And I don't think that's going to be the end of it. I think there's a book coming. Do you feel like all the cool kids will be in their backyard digging holes now? (laughs) <laughs> I, d- I do know that there that at one point there was a hole in our backyard which had like a like a little cold cellar kind of area. Yeah, there was y- yet another hole in the backyard. Yeah, which was covered up at some point, which now I desperately want to un- uncover. <laughs> Allison's good for storage, basically. <laughs> I'll be out there digging, finding witches. 
the witches. It's almost February. It is. You know what happens in February? Groundhog Day. Indeed. There's another one, too. Black History Month. Right, yes. And yet another one. The shortest month. Valentine's Day, Alice. Oh, yeah. You yeah. unromantic. <laughs> and you've dug out appropriately, for the curiosity of the week, a really, really cool Valentine. You like these old Valentines. I do like old Valentines. This one is entitled To the One I Love. It's like a little book. Mm-hmm. A simple prop to occupy your time. Filled with a little poem in it here, some artwork. Some pansies, cherry blossoms. Somewhere it said, oh, it's signed on the inside, 1911, so that looks like... Someone gave it as a Valentine's gift. Yeah, it looks looks pretty accurate for 1911. It artwork. does, yeah. Very pretty, embossed, nice... You know, the printing at that time is so much better than anything we have now. Turn-of-the-century mm-hmm. printing is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. How yeah. were they able to do that then, and now we have the most flat, boring... Colors are not... Well, I mean, you can do it. Yeah, but... Only certain printers can do stuff like that. Our printer can. It's not cheap. It just seems like there was just so much more care in packaging and prints and stuff. I guess because you had to, you couldn't couldn't make it an expensive version of it. Well, that'll be our curiosity of the week. I'll take a photo of that. I'll put it in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase the Valentine and other curiosities of the week, those that are left. Also at Etsy, Strange Familiar's t-shirts, mugs, stickers, patches, and more artwork, originals, and prints, including the original art for this week's episode. And anything I dig up from the hole? (laughs) I'm going to promise Strange Familiar's people now. I'm not going to offer them anything that's previously been in the hole. Nothing from the hole. No, nothing from the hole. (laughs) My books are there. They come signed. If you get them from Etsy, you don't even have to ask. I'll sign them before they leave and much more. Go ahead and check it out. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. But if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. You can also request that I just sign them because I know your signature pretty well. (laughs) Can I have a forged copy? Yeah. Or I can really sign any name you want. Mm -hmm. Vladimir Nabokov. (laughs) Speaking of printing, David D'Andrea, excellent artist. He's done art for Sleep and Om and a few other bands. I've got probably three different Om shirts with his artwork on it. He sent me his calendar, letterpress calendar. I think he printed it himself. He does like silkscreen prints and letterpress prints. Samaritan Press is the name of his company. Beautiful calendar, great artwork. I wanted to thank him and check out SamaritanPress.org. He sent me a print, too. He sent me stuff before, and I've forgotten to thank him. So thanks so much, David. I love your artwork. It's high praise because Tim doesn't give out. This is one thing about, like, you don't say nice things unless you mean them. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I just won't mention it. You just won't mention it, yeah. I mean, I would say thank you for the gift. but Yeah, I, yeah, but, but yeah. You, won't, you wouldn't say, I like this artwork unless you really like Because the artwork is, this is a person who buys comic books. Not based on the the story per se, but on the artwork. And you will quit a run of comics if you don't like the art. Absolutely. Unless, like, Alan Moore's writing it, I might stick on if I don't like the artwork. Some Hellboy, I'll hang in there if I don't like the artwork. Just because I like the combination of horror and folklore so much that Hellboy does. But yeah, anything else. If it's like, 
whatever. If an artist I like is on a superhero comic and I'm following it, I'm gone. The minute the artist I like is gone, I'm out. That's why it's nice to have a friend who does comics. Absolutely. Hey, let's give John a little free plug too. <laughs> sure. John's at riverbendcomics.com. He's got all your comic needs and great stuff besides art books and comic books and all kinds of neat stuff there. He carries my books as well. Yeah, let's help each other, right? We try to do that. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. You can join the Strange Familiars gathering group there as well. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, no underscore. Please give us a follow. And you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com, 24-7. And that's where you can find our merch page, strangefamiliars.com slash merch. That's the only place to find Strange Familiars merch. Don't look behind you Don't look behind you